What's going on, y'all? Dr. T. Hassan Johnson here. Just thought I'd take a minute, talk a little bit about uh, traumatized black boys. And the trauma we're talking about is specific to sexual assault, rape. And this is something that there have been many black men that have talked about. Uh, but much of the time, it really doesn't get much fanfare, even when celebrities do it. I can tell you it's far beyond celebrities because every time I've spoken about this in public or online, I get scores of men, black men, who write me to talk about their experiences. Uh, sometimes even mentors that uh, have just come out, will come out the mouth and tell me about things they went through, things they haven't even told their wives they experienced as boys. But, you know, even in terms of celebrities, you got a long list of men who've been sexually assaulted and raped uh, by men and women since, you know, they were uh, toddlers. You know, um, we could talk about Chris Brown. We could talk about T.I., T-Pain, Flavor Flav, D. Ray Davis, Peter Guns, Ike Turner, Richard Pryor, Sugar Ray Leonard, Iceberg Slim, R. Kelly, MC Shan, uh, Bow Wow, D-Ray, you know, I, I think I said D-Ray, yeah, Lil Wayne, Tyler Perry, Columbus Short, Charlemagne the God, Mike Tyson, Antoine Fisher, Kashif, DMX, Lecrae, Denzel Curry, Chris Gardner uh, from the film Pursuit of Happiness, the real life person, uh, Don Lemon, Rasan Patterson, and many more uh, men who've come forward and talked about their experiences. I myself am part of that list and many more. And it's just uh, one of the things I noticed, even in this last week, there was some discussion on Twitter uh, asking about who the black male scholars were that were doing work on sexually assaulted boys. And at one point in the discussion, one of the people that raised the question dismissively said, well, you know, it, it basically, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not real unless there's, um, how did she put it? Unless it's, unless it explicitly, you know, isn't coming from a place of debate. I think she was saying the only time people bring it up is to argue with feminists. But let's be clear about something. For the most part, feminists have pretty much eliminated the conversation in any kind of professional space on black men and boys. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in more detail. But you're going to have frustration from black men along those lines. So it is what it is. And I don't at all dismiss that frustration. I think that's a mistake. I think men and particularly black men have a reason to be frustrated about having their experiences dismissed. I remember sitting in graduate school classes and listening to lectures on, you know, rape, like childhood rape. And, and, and at no point going from undergrad to master's to doctorate did I ever hear one of those professors even remotely bring up black boys and men. Not once. And I went from 1992 to 2008, three different universities. Never once did I hear that brought up in a classroom setting. So there's going to be some frustration and it is what it is. But this particular thing, this particular, um, you know, the inspiration for this video came about based on something I had posted on Facebook about the rapper Coolio. And Coolio, uh, you know, was on the OWN network and he talked about an experience he had as a young boy being violated. Uh, in essence, I'm kind of going to read what I wrote about it on Facebook just so I can make sure that uh, we're all on the same page or I'm on the right page. But anyway, he described growing up in a, what I would call a bi-directionally abusive environment. And most uh, abuse, uh, you know, intimate partner violence in black communities is bi-directional. So he grew up in a bi-directionally abusive environment that resulted in watching his mother shoot a man in the face 
um, after he had tried to hit that man with the bat. Then he described being molested by an older female family member and, you know, the own network bleeped out. So I don't know if it was his mother, his aunt, but I think it was direct, you know, relate directly related family member who used threats to silence him when he was only eight years old. He then described the psychological toll it took on him um, uh, then when he became violent and um, was incapable of forming healthy, intimate relationship bonds. But for many, you know, black males are just considered pathological um, simply because they exist, no context, you know. So the violent kind of outbursts he had growing up after his experience were labeled or kind of framed as him simply being black and male and not considered to be linked to any kind of trauma. And I've had this experience too when I was living in Philadelphia and I, I was court, you know, I taught a class, a GED court course for young 14 to 17 year old boys who were court ordered to be in my class to get their GEDs. And the overwhelming majority of them had severe behavioral issues. But a lot of those behavioral issues, when I finally sat down to talk to them, were trauma-based. Many of them had been raped. Many of them had been the only family members trying to secure some kind of stability or income for the household. And they were 14, 15 years old. One young man was taking care of his mother who was dying of HIV. You know, they had some severely traumatizing experiences with no counseling, no therapy, no help at all. They were just sent to a ranch and then expected to come back and perform and they were pathologized as violent, but that was it. So I've seen that directly. Um, but I also went on to say on Facebook, so when I call for a reevaluation of black manhood and maleness on grounds black men established themselves, people balked. Black men and women themselves will argue to keep us in the same servile roles of awaiting approval from those who have been raised to hate us. They press, the, they press to keep us in the gynarchal concusurf roles we've been socialized into within our communities serving as sperm donors uh, bodyguard assassins and servants while mainstream society perceives us as dumb brutish criminalistic uh, hypersexual boogeymen in fact creating policy that reinforces this social idea i challenge this and i've challenged black men to speak up and do not accept dehumanizing or, or dehumanization or respect from anyone so this was in direct relation to coolio's comments and basically um, that kind of trauma, you can even see it in his face in the video. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody thought to ask the question why he might have been able, been unable to form, you know, healthy relationships even as an adult, right? But part of the problem is that we experience, black males experience this in a, a variety of forms. Usually the only time you can talk about male rape in any kind of way that has traction for people is if you talk about incarceration. And even then, most of the time, it's a joke. But if you try to have a serious conversation with it, there's a couple of things that end up kind of, you know, being an issue. One is, is we have deeply set beliefs and then we have formal ideologies that frame how we interpret these things and in, in many ways justify why we eliminate certain things. So the deeply set belief. Well, I would say the main deeply set belief we have is that women can't, won't, and don't significantly hurt men or children, especially boys, pre-adolescent boys. That's a deep-set belief we have um, as a culture. And you know it is because when we see examples of it that pop into the news, it's very rarely goes viral. It get, very rarely gets taken seriously. In fact, I'm one to post those kind of things quite regularly in my social media just to point out this is not an infrequent thing. But the response most of the time is that you either hate women or you're on some crazy trek, you know, trying to point these things out. So that is, that's deeply set in a belief that we culturally have. And it's a cultural belief backed by policy. And by that, I mean, 
you don't see people who are arrested significantly charged or at least charged on the grounds men are charged for the same crime. Much of the time they'll be out on bail, um, you know, usually long before the person that they've aggressed uh, is, has healed from the event, you know. So these kind of things have become quite common. And so we have this belief that women are inherently good, inherently pure, and we are incapable. And this is an old idea, uh, most particularly one that was popularized in the 19th century and comes about with this idea that women are the domestic sphere kind of leaders and that they build hearth and home and set the emotional and value standard for the American family, the Western family, so on and so forth. So these ideas about femininity and purity are long held in this particular culture. And it's transferred even into the black community to this degree where women can do no wrong. So we are we are in many ways, and I've said this many times, incapable of holding women accountable for evil, acts of evil. We don't know how to do it. We overlook it. And in the black community, because we actually are led by gynarchy, not only do we not know how to do it, but boys are raised to basically be, become oblivious to it. So female violence, female initiated sexual aggression, all those things we kind of dismiss. And you'll have black men tell you stories about how men just need to suck it up and, and keep walking, but then tell you stories of how they themselves were victimized, but they don't frame those experiences as victimization, right? And it's interesting to hear those kind of dynamics because if you just flip the script and ask if this happened to a young girl, would this be victimization? Would this be trauma? Would this be a sexual assault situation? And most people wouldn't hesitate to say yes. But again, when it comes to men and boys, we have a different outlook. The other thing as far as that is we tend to have a deeply set belief that um, it's a rites of passage for boys to be initiated by an older woman. And that's mostly what it is. Right. Boys, for the most part, you know, we, we black boys in particular generally use their virginity at a very young age. They lose it at a very young age, especially compared to other groups of males. And a lot of that goes back into stereotypes about black male sexual virility, uh, stereotypes about mandingos that were born to to have sex, were born to you know be sexually dominant, all these kind of things. So we and sometimes in many situations we're even raised to carry ourselves as basically you know walking phalluses. You know we're socialized into seeing ourselves as walking phalluses, and that's it's complemented by the way women are socialized to see us as well. So it's not a surprise when you hear boys as young as five being sexually victimized by much older women, right? Because at the end of the day, that's all we are uh, to ourselves and to a lot of other people. Again, going back to these old narratives that uh, really go back to slavery, but it has a lot to do with that. And that plays into our imagination. So, you know, that kind of experience, even with older men, uh, becomes an example of, um, you know, our own kind of thought process about what manhood is and and that whole rite of passage narrative is something that I've heard older women and men agree to. And I think the latest example we saw was Boozy and his sons. And I saw an, uh, an article on complex.com where he talked about, you know, getting his sons and, and I think their cousins, um, you know, blowjobs by adult sex workers, you know, and I've heard that kind of thing growing up um, from certain types of dudes anyway, in terms of how they sexualize their sons into manhood and so on and so forth. But, you know, from again, even at age five and above, the idea is that this is a preparation for manhood. But part of that is rooted in a belief that boys don't really experience pain. They don't experience trauma and that none of these things really apply to them. You know, uh, but we'll see in the data in a moment that that's not necessarily the case. 
Um, but what's interesting about the boozy thing uh, as well is when I read some of the comments about it, you know, I saw women who, of course, you know, uh, calling for boozy to be held accountable. Some even talked about calling CPS. But it was an interesting discussion where there was this kind of condon- you know, condemnation of boozy. And of course, the conversation is more than warranted, but very little response on the woman herself, sex worker or not. You know, uh, there was very little discussion that I, I could find on on the fact that you could find somebody willing to do that. An adult woman who's willing to perform, you know, acts, sex acts on 12 year old boys. You know, again, what does that say about the culture? What does that say about boys and men? Um, so anyway, I found that to be kind of interesting, as well as there being limited therapeutic options for boys who actually are traumatized. And do we have the means to even recognize that trauma when boys experience it? Most of the time we don't because we don't have a mechanism in place that identifies those acts of trauma. So when we see boys act out at a young age, again, we just li- we link it to their masculinity. We don't ask questions about whether it's tied to any kind of traumatic experience. So we don't even know how to ask those questions. And of course, you know, moving beyond deep set beliefs, the other factor we look at is formal ideologies, right? Ideologies that are rooted in some type of research that uh, frames how we understand sexual victimization, you know. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to look at is Dr. Tommy, Tommy Curry and doctors, Tommy Curry and Ebony Utley wrote an incredible piece um, called She Touched Me. And it's really a snapshot of interviews with five different black men. I think there's a series that they're going to continue. But uh, just this first piece that they did in 2018 in the Kennedy Institute of Ethics Journal was incredibly powerful, dealing very explicitly with the experiences of boys. And I'm going to read a few quick sections out of that to give you a sense of what we're dealing with. Uh, one, one section, very, er- very early on, page 206, says, when the perpetrator is female and the victim is male, society is much more likely to view the sexual relationship between these two as one of mutual pleasure and sexual initiation. This is from a citation from um, that's reinforced by Duncan, 2010, Burroughs, 2004, Bolton, Morris, and, Mac- and McEachern, 1989. So the perception is immediately if the perpetrator is a woman and uh, or a female, right, across age, and the victim is a, is a male, uh, that it's immediately one of mutual pleasure. There's no assumption that she may have aggressed him at all. Right. Another quote, while various studies have, est- have established that male victims of child sexual abuse suffer from an increased propensity towards self-harm, alcoholism, guilt, shame, emasculation, anxiety, and depression, uh, there is seemingly unshakable belief that as males, young boys are unaffected by sexual victimization, that they do not personally suffer, and that sex with an older woman is pleasurable rather than traumatic. Right? This silent surf- suffering, the product of males' inability to disclose their victimization because the world simply does not believe men and boys are victims of sexual violence, can be socially and psychologically debilitating. Right? Um, an incredible citation, incredible uh, reference, because that is precisely what tends to happen with boys and men. And much of that is dismissed. Even when you do talk to uh, professionals that deal with sexual assault and trauma and they admit to what boys experience, much of the time they'll say, well, you know, there would probably be more reporting, but you know, males tend to be too macho to want to be that vulnerable. And that's this kind of superficial dismissing of the experience that I can't stand because it's not just about macho, um, you know, posing. Much of the time it's about being in an environment that doesn't accept that this can even happen. 
And I'm talking about whether we're talking, you know, engaging it from an academic standpoint or whether we're talking about it in media, whether we're talking about it in, in a context where people can hear it on a wide stage platform, like in media, the going perception is that this doesn't and can't happen. I've met PhDs who argue that it is impossible for males to get raped at any age, right? Childhood to adulthood. So how then are you going to blame a 10-year-old boy who doesn't want to come over forward and talk to talk about his experience for not doing so when you're in, in an environment where even the professional scholars on the matter, some of whom argue that it can't happen? He's never seen anything on television or in the media that supports the fact that it does happen. And that's something girls have had for the last 50 to 60 years, where they've been able to see movies and television shows that frame and give them a vocabulary for their victimization. But for boys, there's been absolutely nothing other than the Duluth model argument that they are always responsible in every situation because of patriarchy. And now you're going to turn around and say, if men do want to talk about it, if they do so with any degree of anger toward professional uh, academics or feminists, for that matter, in, in these matters, that, that they, they immediately need to be dismissed? Hell no. Of course there's going to be anger. I'm talking about generations of silencing boys and men from legitimate experiences and telling them they need to be quiet. That's not going to be received well across it by any measure, right? Um, another citation that I thought, another, uh, excuse me, ref, uh, quote that I thought was important is uh, female perpetrators of child sexual abuse, commonly referred to as female sex offenders, remain an unstudied and somewhat invisible population in the academic literature, right? Despite the documenting of a growing demographic of female sex offenders in the child sex abuse literature and victimization surveys, there is no recognition of female sexual offenders and male victims of child sexual abuse within gender and race theory literatures regarding masculinity, page 207. That is powerful, right? That is powerful. So we're not, again, we're not even talking about in the mainstream. We're not even talking about in casual discussion in popular media. We're talking about in professional settings with people who do this all day, professional researchers and scholars who study this, very little documentation or discussion about male victimization, right? Uh, this is a slightly longer one, but uh, again, I thought these were some of the more important ones to give out at this stage. Um, at the center of this failure is the a priori assumption that women suppressed by patriarchy are the only victims of violence, never perpetrators. Similar to previous works criticizing feminist theory for its erroneous accounts of male victimization that have argued the sexual abuse of men by adult females is in fact harmless, the harm from sexual violation or rape only occurs from penile penetration, right, or that men cannot be raped at all. Duncan suggests that the inability to see male victims of, of uh, female perpetrated sexual violence is largely ideological. And see, this goes back to what I was saying a moment ago about the ideological barriers that prevent us from even acknowledging what happens in families, in homes, to boys. We have ideological blinders on that tell us that this cannot happen. Right. There are really no mechanisms in place to support boys and men who've gone through this. Damn sure. No, no retreats or homes that they can or safe houses they can go to. The primary safe house for boys, for example, who've been sexually violated is prison. You'd be hard pressed to find one. Right. And I've written about how, you know, when people have called in to centers, you know, to report their sexual violation and look for support and resources, they've even had. Um, the phone operators, the phone kind of counselors that are help you actually tell them that they're not telling the truth or that they don't have any resources to direct them toward. 
or the, the assumption or sometimes because of their training, they've made the assumption that he must be the aggressor regardless of what he says. And there's a, a female victim somewhere that needs to be dealt with completely oblivious to the experiences of boys. Right. So um, I move on a little further. Um, as Claire Cohen explains in a recent book, male rape is a feminist issue. Feminism, governmentality and male rape, 2014, the reluctance to embrace male rape within the feminist rape model as popularly conceived as a result of the reluctance to adapt it, not an inability, not an inability to do so. But this reluctance is understandable when the model itself is presented as so enmeshed with the legitimacy of the theoretical stance. One cannot revisit the feminist rape model without support supposedly impinging on the feminist paradigm as a whole. So in other words, you really have a cognitive dissonance that kind of takes place once you've accepted, you know, the theoretical model, the frame that presupposes a feminist agenda that argues that feminists are the primary victims. In order for you to accept male victimization within the context of abuse, you have to upset the entire feminist model. And many people don't know how to reconcile the two. So what loses out? Male victimization. Uh, another quote. Psychologist Jackie Sarajan, I may have mispronounced that, 2010, explains sexual offending has long been viewed within society as a male-only crime. Males are perceived as controlling all sexual encounters and females as passive and submissive uh, recipients, even when the male is a child and the female is an adult. And we've even seen documentation that you've actually had grown adults violating boys and then turning around after having gotten pregnant from that sexual situation, turning around and taking the boys to court for child support and winning. Right. That's all predicated on the model that females cannot be anything more than victims. As long as that's a presupposed a priori belief, then it's difficult to actually have uh, these boys treated as human beings. Right. Uh, last of two quotes. So this this one, uh, female perpetrators of sexual violence do not need to be do not need to be able to physically overpower or physically dominate male victims to commit sexual assault or rape. In some cases, adult female perpetrators use extreme force to coerce adult males into sex. In these cases, weapons like guns and knives were used to make men submit as in cases documented by Sorrell and Masters, 1982. However, such cases need not be the basis from which sexual violations are conceptualized. Duncan, 2010, emphasizes that female perpetrators of sexual violence or statutory rape can be females at any stage of sexual development. The abuse of siblings, bullying, and dating violence are all possible scenarios where peer relationships can enable female perpetrators. Regardless of prevalence, the presence of female perpetrators in any number of relationships with minors does not worry society at large. As such, female perpetration of sexual violence against children and adolescents remains ever present throughout American society, but ignored within the gender scholarship that claims to develop theories to explain the causalities of sexual violence. That's page 208 to 209. Uh, lastly, page 209, black males have the earliest sexual de debut of any group in the United States. Black boys often report uh, first intercourse between 12 and 14 years old. Uh, the sexual debut of their peer girl group, that's black girls, is much later. So it's more than likely that the first intercourse is likely with older women for boys. And that comes out of uh, referencing Staples, 1982, uh, Cavazos Reg, uh, 2009, Biello, 2013. So there's been documentation on male victimization, but not a, a lot of clarity on how to go about interpreting it. And again, within the black community itself, uh, you kind of have this internalization of the feminist, the white feminist idea in the black communal context. What I refer to in that is, is the black gynarchy. 
And again, that framework is women can't be wrong. They can't be critiqued. They cannot be held responsible. And they are inherently pure to the degree where any type of, of formal trauma really can't come from them. So there's there's not really a, an interpretive lens for us having a conversation about um, what kinds of, of vulnerable vulnerability boys can have. You can talk about male, uh, you know, rape and sexual assault of boys. There's a there's a space for that. Uh, because part of the feminist argument is linked to the LGBT argument. So there is a space for the sexual victimization of boys by men and maybe even other boys, if we want to frame it that way. And of course, the dominant narrative is about males who violated young women. But again, when you flip the script and women are the aggressors, it, it, there's really no space for that conversation. And many will also, if they acknowledge it at all, will simply tell you, well, it happens, but it's not very frequent. Here's the thing. Because it's considered infrequent, because even the professional literature overlooks it, my argument, and again, go back and read, um, you know, Curry and Utley's She Touched Me. When you see the data presented there, my argument is that it's actually at um, epidemic levels in the black community that boys are violated. Because it, it, there's so many men I run into that quite commonly have these stories. It's amazing. The only thing they lack is the permission to say to tell those stories. But for the most part, I think it happens because it's not a factor, because it's not considered wrong, because it's not it's not considered something that happens. And so just like what we saw, excuse me, what we saw with, um, you know, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, what is it she said to him? She said, nobody's going to believe you that I abused you, that I physically assaulted. Nobody's going to believe you. That's an important part of this conversation. That's why black boys are not take, taken seriously in terms of their sexual victimization, particularly by women and girls. Because at the end of the day, because nobody's really going to believe it or take it seriously, it can go on without unchecked. It can go on unchecked. Right? We've seen that even in the Me Too movement, right? You had this serious movement that, you know, was pervasive, impacted almost every facet of American life. It mainly, you know, the, the public demonstrations were largely wealthy men. Black men were wealthy black men were the only ones that seemed to go to prison in, in any consistency with any consistency. But no serious um, kind of no serious kind of investment in the people who were victimized it was just it was the only ones that got seriously invested in were women and feminists in particular so that's part of the uh, problem in and of itself um last thing my boy green gorilla put out a video today that was incredibly powerful go over to green gorilla on youtube and he did a video where he talked about um boys being raised in single parent environments with their mothers and he had this incredible kind of acknowledgement of what he referred to as the smothering tyrannical mother. And basically, he was talking about the ways in which, um, you know, some women prevent their boys from becoming men. Um, and I just wanted to add a little piece to that. Uh, the other aspect of that dynamic we don't talk about is something my boy uh, Valdez, angry man on YouTube, mentioned several years ago, actually. He talked about, and I'm reframing it because I don't remember the exact verbiage he used, but it is something I reflected upon for years, but I never put voice to. And that is the, the, the dynamic of the son-husband, right? Where you actually have boys who are the only males in the house in many instances, and they kind of come become these symbolic son-husbands. Now, don't get it twisted. These relationships can be, um, you know, they can be sexualized. Right. Where you have grown women and boys 
younger boys who are being sexually violated. But even in a non-sexual context, you still have a, a power dynamic where you have boys who are serving the roles of not only sons, but also husbands in the lives of many different women. And it's still a problematic, exploitive relationship that can come about. Now, why do I bring that up on a video where I'm talking about the, the sexual uh, violation of boys, the sexual victimization of boys? Because it's not just about the sexual victimization. There is also a psychological component to victimization that needs to be called into question. And the sexual part of it doesn't actually have to be limited to the act of sex. It can very much have to do with the exploitation of males by females. There's that sexual dynamic there can come into play. But there is still a kind of symbolic sexual relationship in terms of the gender roles instead of mother-son, mother-husband. Now, I'm not doing this or saying this arbitrarily to find new ways to attack women. I'm calling out ways that women have engaged in behavior that has not been brought to public attention and analyzed thoroughly. Because again, the, the platform, the paradigm we use doesn't allow for it. So it has to be brought out. It has to be discussed because there have been millions of boys over the decades who've experienced this. And the only way they could respond was to act out. And when they acted out, many of them were kicked out of school, sent to jail, so on and so forth. And then the conversation became about them being criminals. Still no acknowledgement of the trauma they experienced at increasingly younger ages. And by increasingly, I mean the more we create the space for the dialogue, the more we find out how young many of these boys actually were. Because I can tell you, my experience started when I was about three or four. And then again, at eight or nine, say, with two different people. How much younger... How are we talking about for boys and how come there's no vocabulary? There's no conversation for that. Right. Um, so shout out to Green Gorilla in that sense. Um, and, and, and let's get the conversation going, because in order for us to have empathy for boys, we have to first believe that they're actually human, black boys in particular. And based on how people discuss boys. No, I don't think we treat boys like they're human at all. And if we don't treat boys like they're human, how do you think we treat men, particularly black men? All right. Peace.